0: Welcome back to the CMU Now podcast. We're here today in a special edition uh, with Dr. Joyce Brooks. Dr. Brooks is here helping our community and our campus celebrate the MLK Junior Holiday. And Dr. Brooks, thank you so much for being in studio with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. (laughs)
0: Uh, Your your life history is... um, which I know only the very top line kind of information from your bio, but I wonder if you might start for our listeners who've never met you and don't know you, if you might orient us a little bit as to your journey um, and some of your experiences, both as a young person, but also up through the educational system and maybe some of the key moments that you have been a first person and witness of history.
1: Well, you know, this is really a um, delightful experience to be here with you young people because I call President Marshall, I call you young as well. I'll take <laughs> this it. This is my 77th year of life oh, congratulations. as of next month. I'll be 77. And I'm so thankful that um, I'm one of the original baby boomers mm. born right after World War II. And there was the boom in the population once those veterans got home. Yeah. And I was a baby born to parents who thought they'd never have children. Oh. And my dad, who was a World War II veteran, a black man who couldn't have a gun as a soldier because blacks were not allowed to have guns, was one of the people who said, we're here to fight an enemy and he talked to us about this all the time. We're here to represent our country, defend our nation, and you won't let us have guns. And then General Eisenhower, uh, my dad was one of the people, he had an experimental integrated army Mm. group, and my dad was one of them. He was so proud to be an American Mm -hmm. who happened to have been black. And when he got back, and my mom was she was pregnant, he said, "Our baby's going to be born in the hospital, which was not admissible oh and Dad said, "Oh, she will be born in the hospital. I'm a world war two veteran so February nineteenth came, and I was born there <laughs> the a little black baby born in the hospital, but I was isolated. And the way Dad described it, I was kind of in a cage, like the way he described it, but he stayed with me holding me. Mm -hmm. And he told me this story so much. Mm -hmm. He said, you are beautiful. You will do great things. Daddy's going to send you to college. That was unheard of for Um, a black child. And he did everything he said he was going to do. That was my
0: beginning of life. Where were you born, Dr. Brooks? Rural Arkansas. Rural Arkansas. Yes. And your story continues. You were, um, for those who... Who were tracking the history, you would have been a child when Brown v. Board of Education was decided. Is that right? I was second grade. Second grade. But I didn't know about it. Sure. But
1: over the years, I understood why we finally got an indoor restroom in our school because we did not have indoor restrooms. And then all of a sudden, we got indoor restrooms and
0: school buses. Hmm. Now, Your dad made a promise. He was going to send you to college. And so at the end of high school, what happened at that point?
1: I finished high school in uh, June 1964. So the Civil Rights Act was passed in 64. Mm. And I got to go to college in a larger town. Which is about a hundred miles from our town. That's way. That's a long way in those days because people didn't travel that far. But I got a chance because of the Civil Rights Act to go to the library, the public library, for the first time in my life, hmm. because it was against the law in our town if you were black to go into the library. And I love to read. Hmm but my parents would find books cuz there were no bookstores. Yep. I was so excited to get to this is a library, a building full of books. Now I have my own personal
0: library. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect you do. And
1: my children and grandchildren are avid readers. Yeah. Because they know how important it is to be able to have access to Great minds through books.
0: Yeah. What did you study in college once you got there?
1: An English teacher.
0: An English teacher. (laughs) I was a
1: high school English teacher.
0: You were were on the front lines in many ways of change that um, I think it's safe to say that some in um, later generations take for granted the fact that uh, we have unfettered access to books that regardless of the color of your skin you're welcome to go to college you're going to the public library and you know as you traverse your path you you really broke down some barriers probably not just for your family but for your neighborhood your community and others you didn't stop at your undergraduate degree did you
1: No, I didn't. And one of the things that I really enjoyed doing, I was one of the first black teachers in a desegregated school in Arkansas where the community voluntarily said, okay, we're going to tear down the black school, we're going to tear down the white school, Mm -hmm. and we're going to have one school in the center of town. Mm -hmm. And I was their first English teacher, first black teacher there. Mm -hmm. I loved that community. They wanted to know more about uh, black history, which I was just learning a lot of myself. Mm -hmm. So that just made me want to go on to graduate school and... Mm -hmm. Just learn more about history of America, mm-hmm. but including everybody.
0: Yep. So you went on and you, you went through graduate school. What did you, after you finished uh, your, well, several de- college degrees, what did you ultimately spend the bulk of your career doing?
1: The bulk of my career was really in what we call multicultural education. My um, master's is from Indiana University in reading, which so many kids, I don't think that degree even exists now at universities, but I was a high school teacher and so many kids couldn't read, both black, white, brown, most of them, they weren't readers. So I wanted to specialize in that. Then, when we lived in California for about 30 years, I was in graduate school and multicultural education was growing because there were so many cultural groups within the school, so many languages. I wanted to know more. But more importantly, I wanted students and their parents to appreciate differences. Mm. And that is what my work has really been in. Community Universities, high schools, towns, just everybody coming together like you guys are doing here in Grand Junction. Mm. I applaud you. Mm. The university being involved in the community. And that's what I love seeing. People getting together, learning about each other, writing about each other, mm. and building strong communities our differences make us strong.
0: You know, Joyce, one of the reflections I think we've had on this campus is that if you, if you distill down all of the challenges we face, whether it's in our community, our state, our country, oftentimes it feels to me like the antidote to those problems is more relationship
1: That's right.
0: and more community.
1: That's correct.
0: And I wonder if you might share a little bit with our listeners um, some of the experiences you had getting to build community and build relationships maybe across unlikely people or, or relationships that weren't, weren't necessarily very likely um, but for some really intentional work that you did.
1: When As I was working on my doctorate at UCLA, I became involved more and more with Black Panther Party, became a Black Panther and a black nationalist. And I said, we need to separate and not even mix with anybody else. Let's just do our own thing. Hmm. And my chairperson of my doctoral committee said, Joyce, you're racist. I said, yes, I am. And I'm proud of it. Hmm. He said, you have to change that. He was killed on an airplane crash coming from Chicago to L.A., and I went to his memorial service at UCLA. They had one at Harvard, and I just went to the UCLA service, and he had people there of all colors Mm. working together, and that really helped turn me around Mm. and began it was shortly thereafter, Vietnamese children were coming into the schools. And I started going in the, to their parties and in their homes. And this is what my professor Charles did. He lived in a community of so many different people. And he was Chinese hmm. and just really wanted multiculturalism to work. He really turned me around. To realize how important community is, communities of people groups. Hmm. I'm richer for that. That was in 1979. Hmm. So I understand when people come with very um, limited views of others, and I'm more patient with them. Hmm. And I said, Well, let me tell you my story. That helps to build relationships which does just what you're saying hmm. strengthens that bond among people.
0: So we're here in Grand Junction and you are uh, you've taken time and and uh, a fairly circuitous journey today as I understand yes. your travel has been challenging. <laughs> so I'll just say thank you on behalf of our community. And I don't
1: even like snow.
0: Well, <laughs> It's been a chilly one today, but you, through some challenging uh, travel arrangements, you're here. Yes, thank you. you. Would you share uh, with our listeners who aren't going to be able to join tonight, um, maybe some observations and encouragement even about um, the way you approach this work and maybe any observations you might have on this anniversary of Dr. King's birthday?
1: I'd like to the title of Keeping the Dream Alive and one of the things I'm going to ask tonight what was the dream? Hmm. Why was the dream? And then I'm going to point to each individual. What does that mean to you? And for you? And I believe it means for each of us as Americans and even as others who want to come to America or who are in who are coming to America as immigrants and want to become Americans. We are stronger because of who we are. But you've got to feel that strength within yourself. If I decrease you in who you are because of your color, because of your height, (laughs) because of any of these outward things, I really minimize my own Personhood. Hmm. And I want to challenge each of us to, you know, be thankful for who you are and then begin learning about others. I even brought some books that I'm going to recommend tonight <laughs> uh, to read because I really believe that all of us should be learners of others. Yes, American history has really left out lots of people within the country. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that we should. Information abounds. But let's learn more about self Hmm. and others. My children are richer, my own children, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because their dad and I, my late husband, really wanted them to be appreciative of who they are. We said the same thing to them that my dad said to this little baby uh, in 1947. You will do great things. Great things means that you will develop relationships with others, you will give back to all communities, your own community and to others, because you're designed to build a great America, Mm -hmm. a great country. It starts with each of us,
0: Doctor Brooks. You're kind to give us a few minutes of your time, and um, I'm really looking forward to your comments tonight. But um, for now, I would just say, you know, the encouragement that you've provided us and the perspective. Um, I, I would just encourage our students who are out there, faculty, staff, and others. Um, if you're not able to to follow up, you know, we'll we'll make sure that. We've got some of your recommendations available, hyperlinked in this, uh, in this podcast. But I just want to say thank you on behalf of our community and our campus for taking time to, to come and visit our community and, and to share with us tonight. So
1: Thank you so much for having me, President yeah, it's, Marshall.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the CMU Now podcast. Uh, we appreciate you always tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you later.